the Oscar goes to. And the winner is. And the Oscar goes. To the winner is. Oscar goes to. M M O W's Oscar race update. And we're back. Oscar race checkpoint number two coming at you on the second weekend of August 2019, or the 17th anniversary of the legendary film, The Adventures of Pluto Nash. No. One of Eddie Murphy's comeback Why? attempts to cinema. Why? Why not? You know, it was made. People put money into it. But uh, we're going to talk about other properties that people put money into today. We have a litany of stories to cover, uh, all things related to the Oscars and awards season based. This is Mike Mike and Oscar. I'm your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also Mike. Also Mike, we've been waiting for that little women trailer all week. It did not come by the time of this recording, so if it drops right after we record, I'm going to feel That's pretty snake. much a guarantee. Yeah, right? I'm going to feel snake bit. Like, yeah. that's, that's assured to happen. <laughs> just been, uh, the whole week. Like, Little Women trailer, just Googling it, putting it on Twitter. Is it out yet? Is it out yet? Is it out yet? No. They just see there's like one account, one IP address in Connecticut that just keeps typing Little Women trailer. In the it Google. was me. Wow, Greta, you have a huge fan. All right, so... Still no drops, but a ton of news to get to this week, uh, all having to do with the Academy Awards, and that's what, if you need a refresher, that's what this weekly show is going to be about. The Oscar Race Checkpoint is going to be your one-stop shop for all things Oscars and awards season news related. Uh, We're going to have some hot takes, going to have some news recaps. So for all the Hollywood news, all the quote-unquote regular movie news, that's what MMO Weekly is for. That's still going to be coming at you every Monday uh, for at least the near future, and you're going to have this in your weekend craw to kind of catch you up to date on what's going on with the Oscars and awards season. So we're going to start with the only Oscars think it's a contender, it could be a contender type trailer that we have to review for this week, and that's the Honey Boy one that came out. Yeah, this is Shia LaBeouf telling the story of Shia LaBeouf, <laughs> but he's playing Shia LaBeouf's father. Yes. <laughs> is his name also Shia LaBeouf? <laughs> Shia I hope so. LaBeouf but is. my God, Dr. Freud... He would have a field day with this one. I'm a little suspicious. You know, in the trailer, there's a quote from a critic saying, this is an egoless retelling. Why would you put that quote in one of your title cards for the trailer? He's playing his father. Look, I'm not saying that's right, (laughs) wrong, or indifferent, but it's not egoless. It's, I mean, I'm sure there's been other good (laughs) things said about this, that the one you're going to pick is... Like, it's so obvious. Oh, don't worry. Shia's not going to play favorites in this role. This is an egoless retelling. This guy even said so. No, the trailer (laughs) proves otherwise. But I I will say, I really enjoyed this trailer. I did too. I thought it was excellent. I love the the style of it. I love the black backdrop of, you know, all the hanging from the wires as a kid. As an adult, you know, you have Lucas Hedges in that stunt scenario. I love that shot. Obviously, you would think, at least on the set of Transformers, they're reenacting one of Shia LaBeouf's stunts from Transformers, and you see kind of the the shine being taken away from it as at the end of the scene, Lucas Hedges is just kind of hanging there on the wire, (laughs) waiting for all the smoke to clear. I, I agree. This one looked very good. It looked very appealing. Kind of middling scores to get out of the blocks here. It's got a 6.1 right now on IMDb. So is his dad a bad guy? Is he a well-rounded character? Is he a good guy? Because there seems to be... I, I imagine it's just going to be a true-to-life retelling, which means he's going to have many angles and facets to his character, but there's certain times in this trailer that he obviously has got... At least it seems like he's got the best out for right. his son, shouting child labor laws, dragging him away from a set, and there seems to be another time he's kind of manipulating his son. So I imagine it's going to be... I mean, this is going to be a movie about the dad, right? It hinges on the dad, 
And the success of this movie is going to hinge on the fact of him being a rounded character, in my opinion, at least in my eyes. Yeah. Uh, I think that they get into those, some of those dramatic scenes, and Shia LaBeouf is, is awesome in them. Yeah. The kid is doing a nice job. The kid is a little arrogant, as child stars have been, you know, notorious for being a little, you know, bigger than, too big for their britches. But they're thrust into a world over their heads. Yeah. For yeah, sure. In and a it, professional setting. And a lot of times, the more famous the child star, the more unique the parent we find. Well, yeah, Look at Macaulay Culkin's growing yeah. up and that whole falling out that he had. Mike, we're in our 30s. We're barely able to navigate professional settings <laughs> ourselves. So you can't blame kids, Barely right? is giving us way too much credit, right. too, I But think. this is very oscar I thought, and Shia LaBeouf's performance in this trailer really opened my eyes. I, I think this was loaded. I think this looks like... A possible duck. Yeah, I could see it going either way, right? Which is very fitting if we're talking about Shia LaBeouf's career. Like, this looks like it could be something masterful, or it looks like it could be a complete train wreck to me, which is very in tune with a lot of things he's done professionally as an actor. I also appreciate it. It seems like we're going to get callbacks to Even Stevens, which is what I think the pie-in-the-face okay. thing was a reference to, I'm pretty sure. And it's just a reminder of just how much of Shia LaBeouf's life we have all seen. On camera. I mean, he's been around for two decades growing up in front of us. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. so it's certainly intriguing. I, I won't say it's a bad trailer. It certainly at least made me want to see the film, yeah, which is yeah. what I think what trailer is supposed to do, right? Good first impression, yeah. I, will, I will agree. So we got a lot of Oscar news and Academy news. The Academy elected a new president. This is casting director David Rubin. Yeah. His film credits uh, include The English Patient, Big Little Lies, Get Shorty, Men in Black, 117 credits overall. As a casting director, yeah. As a casting director. Rubin takes over for John Bailey. Rubin was a governor for seven years, I think. I think I read that. Governors are the heads of each of the Academy branches. Then you have the officers, which are like the treasurer, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. to give people just an Academy structure for dummies kind of thing. Right. I, that's, that's my level of understanding at this point. This is not necessarily our bag. But presidents can be elected for four one-year terms, and you can only be on the board for nine consecutive years, which Bailey was. Yeah before uh, he termed out, and he has to take a, a year off before he can run again. I think that's a good rule, right? Why don't get stagnant? Don't let the, the people at the top stay at the top, have a changeover? I don't mind that. So th those are the, the bare bones of this. Now, Ruben led the charge to make casting director's branch an actual branch in the Academy. That's a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. And I guess they actually formed a union in uh, 2013, I want to say, I read. So he yeah. was at, kind of at the forefront of that, even though he was trying to get in nice with the director's branch. They didn't want any part of him. Tried to get in nice with the screenplay branch. It seems like they didn't want any part of them. So they just kind of forged their own way here and made their own uh, union out there in Hollywood. It's exciting. He's yeah. kind of a pioneer in the Academy and the politics of it all. He's also the first openly gay Academy president. He had a great Q&A with Scott Feinberg at the Hollywood Porter. A couple highlights from that, Mike. He's overseen, Ruben's overseen membership and governance, which created several initiatives to diversify the academy. So he's been a part of that. It's one of the things he talked about, too, in his interview, is that he's focused, one of his main focuses is on the widening and the further diversification of the academy, which we holler about all the time on this, how that's only a good thing. He addressed a major controversy, and the quote reads, we should be spending a lot of time addressing the question of, quote, what is a motion picture? I think he stroked his beard when he said that. He doesn't have a beard. I wish, <laughs> I, wish I had a beard to stroke as he said that. Yeah. I, I think that is essential. we got to define those lines going forward. I know BAFTA came out talking about a bunch of things with this as well. Yeah, we're going to get to that. And a, a really cool quote uh, in this Feinberg article. Feinberg always gets out 
you know, some, some great nuggets here. He's the man. And Ruben said, I am a cinephile in the extreme. While I enjoy blockbuster films, my happy place is the Sundance Film Festival, where I can be seen seeing five films each day starting at 8.30 in the morning and coming out blinking like a gopher at 11.30 <laughs> at night. So that's that's really cool. That is awesome. I think it's important. This seems obvious, but it's important to have someone who's genuinely a fan of films in one of the Academy's head honcho yeah, seats. good PR, winning me over. Yeah. And furthermore... Feinberg asked him what was the last great movie he's seen, and he mentioned two. He said The Souvenir and Midsummer. Have to see The Souvenir. We yeah, got to. It just came out on VOD. Yeah. I'm going to try and get it in before our next MMOW, if not the next one after that. So, a lot of interesting first comments. They continued on a Matt Donnelly article at Variety. Ruben said, priority number one, of course, is to get the Oscars broadcast sorted. They talked about bringing back the producer from last year, who's, I think she's also on the board. He said some nice things about John Bailey as Mm -hmm. well. He said, I've learned a tremendous amount serving on the board under John Bailey. I've learned what a great communicator he is, and I've inherited a very supportive atmosphere. So all this is great PR, right? Yeah, it is. It's really good PR. And, you know, not that I necessarily had an issue with the way John Bailey ran things, but he seemed to make mountains out of molehills too many times. Last award season, John Bailey, or the Academy, let's just say, they stepped in it many times. They were almost a laughing stock to the point where we were wondering, us in particular, if they were like dumb like foxes, like if right. if they were thinking no press is bad press and we just need to stay relevant, so let's have all these controversies leading up. I mean, that's the way it kind like of Like we don't out. have a problem, so let's just announce the best popular film feature. Right. And, and we'll go forward with that. It, it let's was make that an issue for us. One disaster after the next to the point where they weren't going to present all 24. You had that outcry. So bizarre. And then you have the Kevin Hart thing that went down with the host issue. They cornered themselves yeah. with the present 24. They cornered themselves with the no host, and somehow they had a great broadcast that came yeah. out of it all. One of the best did ones they, in years. Yeah, did they just get back to the fundamentals of having a, a beautiful night where they just got down to business, where they just had some funny jokes, quick economic humor, and they got down to the business of presenting all 24 awards? Now, I would say that they still need some revisions sure. to the broadcast. And I, I also would... want to make the point that I don't think it's fair to lay everything at the feet of John Bailey. Obviously, sure. he was not a one-man wrecking crew there. No. But he is the face of it. I mean, if you're the head, that's you're kind of the, the buck stoppage with you, right? So... I'm in favor, you're right. This seems like he's saying, uh, the, the, this new Academy head, Ruben, is trying, he seems like he's saying all the right things. Mm-hmm. And he's at least giving people like us and critics and, and fans and people within these guilds, he's kind of giving them exactly what they want to hear, I would think. So we'll see it. I mean, actions speak louder than words. We're going to see, I know that's kind of a lame way to end right. on this, but we're going to see what he actually does if he kind of follows up on this. I think there are a lot of revisions, like you said, that need to be addressed. We need to know what we're doing with the popular film narrative because that's still dangling out there. It was Definitely. a year ago yesterday that they announced that they were going to go forward with it, and then we all knew what happened there. Uh, they need to address what they're going to do with a host going forward. Mm-hmm. They are on an upswing right now with rate in terms of ratings, but ratings overall for live television have kind of dipped lately in this era of streaming, sure. so they need to probably announce a streaming partnership with somebody for some aspect. And Oscars junkies like us would crave a YouTube stream just of behind-the-scenes shit going on with the Academy Awards during the actual show, wouldn't we? Oh, like, wouldn't absolutely. we watch that where the program's going on to see how they're actually funneling all this talent to get to where they need to go all at the same time? Give us a documentary 
documentary after yeah. each Oscars will love you for it. Right. So there's all kinds of stuff that can be addressed and still needs to be addressed. I'm excited, as I think we both are, about this hire and about, I think it's a proper, it's a guy that at least is going to say the right things. Let's hope he can do the right things. The Academy desperately needs like an Adam Silver, right? Yes. Just a super popular, he's the NBA commissioner, mm -hmm. uh, who's very fan servicey, who's not necessarily a disciplinarian, and who can really handle the press, and who can really handle the politics of it all, and who doesn't stick his foot in his mouth. Right. Now, four one-year terms, so he's only in for one year. He has seven on the board already. Can he only do it for two more years or three more years or whatever that is? I don't know. Unless the guy that runs it can not be on the board, is able to not be on right. the board as well. I doubt that, but I don't know. Is this just a, a situation where a change candidate is in right now? Right. You have a po election cycle where you got the change candidate, and we're all expecting everything to be fixed, mm -hmm. and of course, you know, politics or anything. Get his face on a poster with hope underneath right. it. Yeah, yeah it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> change that fast so we'll see so a couple more quick stories uh the academy museum a lot of delays in that construction what else is new for any kind of construction sean fennessy and amanda dobbins were, were talking about how this happens for every construction project everywhere in the world so who cares right at the same time, it seems like it's close to completion, and now this guy's stepping down. And Kerry Brower, who was the director and is, has been the overseer of all this Academy Museum nonsense since 2014, has kind of been the guy that's that's the curator. He's got all the, I guess, pieces. He's got a Miyazaki exhibit. He's got all the exhibits ready, so they're ready to go. It seems like the construction of the buildings are near completion, and he, to Kerry Brower's credit, he's given the quote of, like, it's just, I feel like it's time to move on. Mm -hmm. If that's all it is, then sure, yeah, that's fine. But I kind of liked what Ruben had to say about it. He said he's more concerned with the quality of the work than the time it takes to get it there. And that's kind of cool, right? Just yeah. give us a great museum. Like, when we hear about a museum like this, we immediately want to go, of right? Of course. This would of be course. right up our alley. So It's been a long-running thing, too, with the Academy. Mm -hmm. They've wanted This has been a passion project of theirs, so... I don't think it's a cause for concern. I think it's just interesting in the overall picture of how much upheaval and change is going on in the industry of Hollywood and movie making, especially focused on award-centric right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Award-centric changes are going on. It's just another change that's happening that's just kind of interesting in this pile of changes. Definitely interesting. And they had you know, clips from the construction on last year's Oscar yep. broadcast, so it's got to be coming soon. The last two stories, real quick, ad revenue is going up for the Oscars 2020, so that's a good sign. Ratings went up last year. That's a big deal. Yeah, they said the ratings went up. They about 3 million people more watched last year's program than the year before. You can ask whether that was a factor of this whole controversy with the host and mm -hmm. no host that we ended up having, whether it was a factor of it just being a decent show uh, and a good show, I would say, for the first time in maybe a couple years there. So, But overall, ratings are still going down holistically, holistically. across the board. And the, this Hollywood Reporter article that commented on this even said how the Super Bowl kind of suffered a decline. True. Um, that being said, there's still 30 million or so people that watch the Oscars. So that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people, and that's, that's a lot. Money. It's worthy of a lot of money being sold out for commercials. And you're right. If they can get their hands in a screaming, streaming, or a screaming platform, <laughs> uh, they'll, they'll do better. Uh, final story is that the Emmys are going hostless. I think this is. Fun story in the regards, again, Ruben-centric here. Ruben's like, well, I will happily take credit for anything any other award show's doing <laughs> to fix themselves. So I thought that was a funny comment. And I, I think it's a big deal. I, everybody watched that broadcast yet last year. It went really well. It went, went the really Oscars smoothly. Broadcast the Oscars yeah. broadcast. And the Emmys ha have had great hosts in the past. No, they have. And yet, 
here they are going hostless this year to feature more people. I think that's interesting. I still don't know where I fall on that because we're just uh, we just talked about this. I think on MMO Weekly. I think right. it came up, but we're just on the heels of two great hosting performances. James Corden I thought was great for the Tonys. Yep. Alicia Keys was fantastic at last year's Grammys. Yeah, and yet the Oscars again, probably the best show in a couple of years. No host. And they were able to make fun of themselves for it. They had We started the night last year with mm-hmm. the three SNL female alums, Tina Fey, Maya Rudolph, and uh, Amy Poehler coming out and kind of poking fun at the Academy. You're able to do that, obviously, when you're on the heels of some kind of controversy and you uh, you've end up doing nothing. You kind of hit the status quo. So I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know if I prefer a host or not. I think it would depend on who they actually land on, but I wouldn't be surprised to see the Oscars go hostless once again. So let's talk about some other award season things going on, and we'll lead with the biggest change. Uh, this is going to be precursor news to the Academy Awards. The biggest change this week that we saw is that the BAFTAs, the British Academy of Film Television Awards, is adding a casting category that's supposedly going to highlight casting directors and the decisions they make. So this is really cool. Uh, to be fair, the Australian Academy was the first of the academies to have this award. Yes, the Emmys have had this award for a while now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also made the point, the Baptist spokesperson, that the timing of this news was purely coincidental to David Rubin, former casting director's election results. Sure it was. Yeah, yeah. And it also kind of conveniently masks uh, another announcement that they're going to stay status quo with the theatrical exhibition requirements for films after taking a lot of heat for Roma winning last year. This is all interesting stuff here. Yeah, it's kind of like they slid that in yeah. at the top of the We're not fixing there. this problem, but look at this cool <laughs> new shiny new toy casting director award. This is off a deadline article, so I'll take the last part We're there. We're cynical though, right? Of course we are, but oh, so God. is everyone in this industry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll take the last part. It seems like every major awards body is just not going to move the goalposts for Netflix. And so somewhere in the dark corner, Steven Spielberg weeps, but... <laughs> The BAFTA head passing comment in this article, her name was Emma Bear. She's the BAFTA director of awards and membership. She made it very clear that an issue going forward may be box office numbers. That's cool. And she may, they, they aren't putting it as a prerequisite in stone yet, but the focus may be to ensure that films aren't going into theaters as just token runs to make sure they're eligible for award shows like the BAFTAs, the, the imperative may be for different films to release their numbers, which means Netflix would have to release their theater numbers. That being said, the box office numbers can't be so high that independent films like Moonlight, which did well, but If Beale Street Could Talk, like I'm afraid for the If Beale Street Could Talks, if those aren't nominated because they just can't make the box office that would be wrong I well it's, it doesn't sound like it's going to be a box office threshold it just okay. sounds like it's more of netflix we want to see your numbers uh-huh. i mean it sounds like it's a targeted attack at that to ensure that there's not just a token run she her word the token run is her words her quote in the article yeah to make sure it's not just netflix releasing it in theaters just so they are eligible for these awards they want to see netflix release their box office numbers when their movies are in theaters that's not, again, it's not a hard and stone prerequisite, but she, the way the article reads, it sounds like that's something they're going to revisit. She said they're going to revisit the whole streaming imperative in another year anyway, so this whole thing may be moved as far as the streaming aspect of this goes. It's definitely something to keep an eye on. I think it would be interesting if Netflix's feet are held to the fire and they have to actually talk numbers, because the only things more closely guarded than Netflix's numbers are like Trump's tax returns. Oh, my, this is, <laughs> these are fascinating times, yeah. because we have Netflix coming into power, not just into popularity, over the past 10 years, 
I mean, it's it's almost like if we were living when TV came right. to prominence, while the because it's all it's a whole new way to consume story. Yes, and it's fascinating because you have the British TV model in Netflix with series and limited series and all that happening. Yep. You have the uh, the long-standing television model with twenty episode arcs. We're going to talk about the new Lord of the Rings and the next MMOW, and then you of course have you know feature film length things, and you have four hour things, and you have two part special. Netflix is really changing up a lot of things. They're they're using all these different formats to exhibit their stories, and yeah, it, it is a bit of a cluster. You know what? to organize all these things into classifications where you can give out awards. Traditional classifications, yeah, I agree. It does matter at the end of the day because it matters to bottom lines. It matters to Netflix bottom line. And I do think it, it's not wholly unreasonable for Netflix to have to play ball in certain ways. But at the same time, you know, when you change their whole strategy when they're producing such good stuff and they're cultivating such good filmmakers, it really is an argument with two sides that we, we've been you know sinking our teeth into for a while. I just don't know if you want to you poke the giant too much. You know, like every awards show seems to be kind of wanting Netflix to play ball with them. And Netflix has, for the most part, obliged to their to the Academy's rules yeah. and the film festival's rules. Not can, you know, they butted heads a couple times. But I, I wonder if you don't want to poke the bear too much for Netflix to throw their arms up and say... Effort. We're going to make our own award show. We're going to hire former presidents of the Academy to judge these films, and we're going to have our own competing Oscars. And we're going to give all the awards to Benioff and Weiss after that two hundred million dollars <laughs> right, exactly. and Scorsese after that two hundred million dollar film. Well, Netflix needs some checks and balances on it, in, in my opinion. But at the same time, I, I think it makes sense for the Academy to incorporate. Netflix. I don't disagree with yeah. what you're saying. I'm my counterpoint is just. Are they already too powerful where if they wanted to say, we're not going to do what you want us to do, are they able to get away with that? They tried to do that with Cannes and with the you know, European film festivals last year, and they kind of came to a stalemate. Was it bad for both parties? It might have been. It certainly didn't it, hurt Roma, though. You know, I mean, didn't It didn't hurt Roma, but it hurt Cannes a little bit. It hurt Netflix a little bit there. Did it? Are we sure? I don't, I, I don't think it can be a good situation if they can't it's bad pr i mean you're right yeah and they kind of walked it back and walked away from it and really didn't want to deal with it after a while netflix did are we always going to know what a movie is that's a great question i think two things i think the theater going experience is is really important but if the theater going experience isn't strong enough to allay everyone from watching everything at at home Mm then the theater-going experience needs to be enhanced or it needs to, you need better movies in theaters. The way to combat that is better movies, bottom line, in my opinion. And I think they're, they're doing that in many ways. Yeah, there's an overcorrection with all these tent poles falling on their faces. Right. This year in particular with the sequelitis. So hopefully studios will smarten up and we'll get more farewells. We'll get more once upon Make a time original Hollywood, properties. Hollywood. So yeah, we'll get more of those. And put money into them. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think it's a bad thing to put checks and balances on Netflix. To I don't come disagree. Back to my thesis. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with your overall premise there at all. I do think it would, it's only going to be benefiting everyone if everybody decides to play ball. Um, and yeah, if, if Netflix is a part of your show, that's better for the Academy. Agreed. And I do think it's better for Netflix. Agree. I, I, I agree. Just wonder if they're getting too powerful. I wonder if their check and balance is going to be Disney 
more so than it's ever going to be the Academy or some kind of body like that. You know what I mean? Uh, that's a great point, and I, it's probably coming. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Just to, to finish up my thoughts about this article, I'm sure they're telling the truth, the Baptists are, and saying that Ruben's voting in to be the Academy president didn't have anything to do with them rolling out the <laughs> casting director category. Are you the... No, I'm no, also no, just... sure that Ruben played a part in their thinking about it for a while, because he said to be leading all these charges and making right. the, the the casting directors so relevant and prevalent in the Hollywood industry, as opposed to previously to 2010, it seems like they were an afterthought for the most part by most of the industry. So I'm sure Ruben played some kind of aspect in that. And let's talk about the casting category overall for a second, the Baptist. I, I'm in favor of this. We are hugely in favor of this. We've been shouting from the rooftop since we started this podcast that stunt work and casting directors yep. or casting overall should be two categories in the Oscars and in the Academy Awards. No brainers. This doesn't do that, but if the BAFTAs adopt it, you know the Academy's going to have their eye on it. And Sean Fennessy said something funny today. Like, we don't even know what sound editing or sound mixing are. <laughs> and they have two awards dedicated to them. And they're important. We know they're important. We make fun of ourselves and them right. out of, you know, a defense mechanism because we don't understand it. And we fear things we don't understand. But I don't think more... Award categories are a bad thing. I, I think this is a great scenario for a precursor to do. This is good press for them as well. Let's see more award shows and more precursors do this. And let's see stunts show up uh, in other award shows. Let's see casting show up in other award shows. This is this is fun. Yeah. Go sign. Uh, another big story. The SAG after elections coming up. They want a new president as well. And there's a huge fight going on between two parties. Apparently, and I didn't know this before doing some research for this story. Right. The the SAG after union mm-hmm. is essentially just American politics. It's a two party system. <laughs> so you have the membership first with Matthew Modine as the candidate, and you have the Unite for Strength with Gabrielle Carteris. Yes. As as the incumbent here. That's how it reads. Yeah. Uh, we don't even know. Like, we're learning about this stuff with you, kind of, and we're just talking about it in a small segment. This is nasty, and it's nasty politics. Yeah. There's all kinds of litigation claims that they're making on sag after that they're going against each other with. I'm just like, you know, at a thousand feet here going, wow, WTF is going on. Yeah, it's a really weird story the way it's laid out. And like we said, there's two main parties. There's membership first with Matthew Modine, who wants to be the president. And then there's Unite for Strength, uh, who's ran the union apparently since 2009. Gabrielle Carteris is the one that's currently president and wants to be reelected as president, but she has not been in power since 2009. The party, however, has run it since 2009. Hmm. Membership first ran it from 2005 to 2009. This is an article written by Jonathan Handel of the Hollywood Reporter, who actually, I thought, stayed fairly impartial in just reporting the facts of what's going on for dummies like us who had no exposure to this type of thing anyway. But in laying out the facts, Modine and membership first, to me, they kind of read as like this petty lawsuit filing conservative group and they even he even commented that Modine had once chastised a sexual assault victim on Twitter and compared her to an abused animal that wants to bite and attack. So the layout of facts suggests one thing, but then you scroll down the page and there's this table laid out that, that talks about every actor that kind of supports whichever party. And the membership first party, Matthew Modine's party, the party that seems to be more conservative and seems to be against progressing in the way that you would think a Hollywood union would want to progress, 
has a lot more relevant and current names and big names attached to it. Like Aquafina's on that list. And mm-hmm. we just talked about what a big deal she is lately. And there's a lot of na- there's names of actors for supporting both parties. But it, to me, it seemed like there was a lot more relevant and powerful names with the membership first group. With which, Matthew Modine. With Matthew Modine's group, which kind of boggled my yeah, mind, to be honest. To me, I, I read this a little bit differently. I read it as Carteris kind of have be, been interviewed for it. And Modine is quoted, but and it's all negative stuff about Modine's group. Now, is that true? Is that honest? Is that something that you know we should know? And it's it's more of an editorial here. That's fine if the, if that's the case. I don't really know. Yeah, and I don't know if Carteris is in the right for all this stuff. And Modine has been step, you know, putting his foot in his mouth with the the Me Too comments that that were taken, you know, very poorly, obviously. And it look, it's a bad look for Modine in this article. Certainly is, especially of, of us two just being basically fans first of the industry and right. filmmaking in general. And it's I want to highlight and go back to something you said at the top of this. I mean, this is our first exposure to this type of story. But the reason covering is anyway, yeah. we wanted to do this Oscar show is we want to familiarize ourselves and dive deeper into the unions and the backstories, the backgrounds, the agencies, everything having to do with basically how the sausage of a movie gets made. We love sausage. (laughs) So we're going to keep our eye on this, obviously, as well with all these stories, but we're not purporting ourselves to be experts on this. No, not at all. Not at all. So we're complete newbies. Yeah, we're we're covering this as fans right now. Yes. Uh, that being said, the Writers Guild, too. is uh, There's a stalemate. Mike, what's going on with the Writers Guild? You said it, man. There's another... Like, to review right now what's going on in Hollywood behind the scenes, right? We have upheaval in the sack. Yeah. We have... We're on the road to maybe having a huge falling out with the Writers Guild of America because there's one section that just ba- doesn't want to play by the rules, essentially. Yeah, and you have a four-month stalemate between the WGA and Hollywood's talent agencies at this point. <laughs> yeah. We covered it a while back, but we just kind of went like, WTF, this is crazy. And here we are four months later, and there's all kinds of accusations being thrown around about electioneering yeah. at the WGA West, I believe it was. Yes. It, it's very strange. And then... You have the curator of the Academy Museum stepping aside. Like, everything is an upheaval behind the scenes in Hollywood. The only people that are happy are casting directors right now, right? Because their leader just got voted president of the Academy, and they just got recognized as their own category at the BAFTAs. Everybody else hates everything. Everybody else is <laughs> yelling at everybody, everybody else. It's really strange. Hollywood. Holly, it's Yeah. I wonder if... We can blame Trump somehow, can we? No. I will. I mean, I'm willing to. No, Trump can't be blamed for this somehow. He can't be blamed. All right, Mike. The Fall Film Festival, this is kind of a follow-up segment. The New York Film Festival announced its lineup uh, opening night. Like we said, it was The Irishman from Netflix, Martin Scorsese's film. Centerpiece is Noah Baumbach's The Marriage Story with Scarlett Joe, also from Netflix. Closing night, this was the big announcement this week, is the film Motherless Brooklyn from Warner Brothers. This is Ed Norton's writing, directorial, starring vehicle. He's in it with Willem Dafoe, Bruce Willis, Michael Kenneth Williams, Leslie Mann, Alec Baldwin, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, and Bobby Cannavale. This is just star-studded. We have set against the backdrop of 1950s New York. Motherless Brooklyn follows Lionel Esrog, a lonely private detective afflicted with Tourette's syndrome as he ventures to solve the murder of his mentor and only friend, Frank Minna. You have directed shorts and films in your history, in your career before. 
If you're going to take on such a giant epic and you are going to do a feature-length presentation like this, this is going to be a huge directorial effort by you, would you cast yourself in the lead as well? If it was your first time behind the camera like Look, that? Look, Ed Norton likes himself some Ed Norton. And That's he's, true. He's been on... <laughs> he's played parodies of, of himself liking himself. He has, yes. <laughs> Which is funny. And he's been on roasts where he's been funny in, in that regard. I, this is... Something that a lot of these actors do at some point. I mean, hell, Kevin Costner for Dances with Wolves wrote, directed, starred in that film, it's true. blah, blah, blah. We've seen people well, have success Many with people it. have done it. Uh, I think it's possible. The fact that it's getting the closing night, you know, hammer status is, is really cool. Sean Fennessy in the Big Picture podcast was surprised to learn this adaptation was made into a period piece because apparently the novel is not. So that was... Interesting, interesting as well like, sure. why would you just go back and set it in the 50s for whatever reason that's like something only ed norton would do right <laughs> two hour 24 minute runtime again for a directorial and a writing debut that worries me a little bit um <laughs> would you expect anything less though <laughs> would you, in this would you weird ex- age right now where like everything is going to be an epic Back in the 40s and 50s, you had a ton of humongous movies, right? When with the onset of television, especially you had you had them trying to compete right. with the Ben Hur's with TV and to give you a spectacle. Beyond the wind, yeah. yeah, beyond belief that you had to go to the movies to see. That's happening again with streaming, you know, becoming so popular. And maybe that's there enticing people to not to get into theaters. Well, you have to do the actual theater experience if it's going to be a three-hour movie. And then you have a three-hour, two-hour and 41-minute movie being a a nice Mm -hmm. original film hit with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And that is going to make money at the end of the day. And then you have Avengers being the greatest moneymaker of all time. It's a long-ass movie. So Chapter 2 is getting two hours and 40 minutes. They're not afraid, you know, of these long films. Now, I think there's going to be a backlash to that because long films are hard to do and everybody's used to telling shorter films a two-hour structure, so you're going to get a lot of superfluous scenes. We'll see. It seems like it's having its true debut as well. There's no scores yet for this movie. Right. So we'll see how it plays. Almodovar's Pain and Glory, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, Shyama's Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and Synonyms are international films. We've already previewed these. We already touted them in our mid-year Oscars report, Michael. They're announced as part of this New York Film Festival lineup. But I kind of wanted to run down these other highlights because they're interesting and weird and new. (laughs) And I always love the New York Film Festival for doing this. One of them that are not new, Kelly Reichardt's First Cal. She was the director of Wendy and Lucy, Certain Women, Night Moves. She makes provocative films. She makes films that are very slow-paced. She's intense. Knowing nothing about that movie, I approve of the title. <laughs> First Cal. <laughs> Rush, the Russian film Beanpole, 84 Metascore, is a post-World War II movie. This has like somebody putting a, their hands on the mouth of a woman. This this poster is like infuriating and gorgeous at the same time. I was intrigued by that, Mike. Yeah, certainly. Uh, 1945 Leningrad, World War II, has devastated the city, demolishing its buildings and leaving its citizens in tatters, physically and mentally. Two young women search for meaning and hope in the struggle to rebuild their lives amongst the ruins. Oh my God. Yeah, right? that's pretty heavy. That's intense. <laughs> Speaking of premises that will shake you up, I was at home, but dot dot dot, another ellipses in a title, so that'll be a success. <laughs> German director and Angela Schnellick, sorry for the pronunciation, basically you have a 13-year-old student disappearing without a trace for a week, suddenly reappears, his mother and teachers are confronted with an existential or existential mm-hmm. questions, 
that will change their whole view on life. I love the, you know, New York Film Festival is concentrating on original films, it seems like, which oh, is yeah. all we could ask for. That's great. More of it. And, and crazy intense heavy stuff, yeah. which they're also known for. Albert Serra's Liberté is, is going to be here. He's done The Death of Louis Fourteenth, which was on my movie list, watch list forever, so I was aware of that. I know he makes really intense movies. That's going to be movies. my next question, so it's not something you've gotten to. I have not gotten okay. to that one. I do know Léa Seydoux. Mm-hmm. She stars in Oh Mercy. This is a French murder mystery, but this is really weird, Mike, because it has a 48 Metascore. Mm, not good out of the gate there. Metascore, again, is the one that I usually tend to gravitate towards yeah thank sure. you i could not think of gravitate to save <laughs> my life right there. that's all right assist <laughs> sybil a 54 metascore you have a jaded psychotherapist returns to her first passion of becoming a writer how is that a movie number one and number two 54 metascore 48 metascore well if we're talking about premises that seem a little bizarre that one with that angela chanelic did where it's a 13 year old boy who just disappears and then pops back up like right. it sounds so unique and something that doesn't sound like it could be a movie at all, but again... It can't be good, right? It's effed up. <laughs> I, I don't... I'm just... Yes, get more original premises in movies. As long as I'm not talking about Spider-Man swinging from the you know webs of whatever anymore, that's fine. Just give me more original properties. And finally, Kiyoshi Kurosawa... His film, To the Ends of the Earth, he's the director of the original Pulse mm. that got an American remake, Tokyo Sonata, which I think was in a film festival, uh, New York Film Festival the last time in the mid-2000s. I remember that. I didn't see it, but I remember, like, I almost went to it. I almost bought a ticket for that one, I think. It might all be in my brain. Good story. <laughs> Good story. He's not related to Akira, Akira Kurosawa, but... Again, you got a lot of international rising talents. You get a couple established people, but New York Film Festival, they're known from for launching a lot of careers, too. We may need to uh, look into making New York Film Festival Mike, Mike, and Oscar thing next year. Yeah, we got to go. I, I want to go back. Yeah. It's always a fun festival. Uh, I might just buy some tickets as well. Yeah. Screw you. All right, fair the enough. Lo- <laughs> the London Film Festival chose its closing night film, The Irishman. Now, is this a good omen for The Irishman or not? couple specs last year widows opened the festival stan and ollie closed it does that matter mike do you think this is points for the irishman or you think it's just too powerful to be ignored say what you want about how we reviewed widows and you reviewed stan and ollie on one of the mmo weekly shows they were still movies that made some waves in awards season i mean maybe not necessarily at the academy awards but they were certainly nominated at the baftas and they had their kind of moment in the sun there so you would think that they're that's what they're trying to their aim is to get that closing slot it's something they know is going to have awards prominence attached to it mm-hmm. and we all assume the Irishman will so I think it's a good move for the film festival certainly and there's enough hype I mean Scorsese a lot of hype alone is going to get people in the seats yeah in my brain I used to always think whoever got those spots the centerpiece right. spot the opening and closing night spot those are going to be best right. picture nominees at the end of the day I don't know if that's necessarily the case anymore personal history of David Copperfield's going to open the London Film Fest for me and Nucci I I feel like I know of all the potential contenders and the one we talk about more mm-hmm. than a couple times, I know the least about that movie right now. Dev Patel. Yeah, that's what I know. Yeah. That's all I know about it. <laughs> Great uh, top hats. That's what I know. Joaquin Phoenix is set to receive an award alongside Meryl Streep at TIFF, Mike. So you got two of their three annual acting awards going to Joaquin Phoenix and Meryl Streep. Another good omen for the Joker, correct? And now I'd like to see Joaquin Phoenix and Meryl Streep start together in something. That would be interesting. That'd be awesome. Can they both like go like, here's what I want. Okay. <laughs> I want Joaquin to play Meryl, and I want Meryl to play Joaquin. <laughs> 
I would see that. Absolutely. <laughs> some fun news and goofy shit before some serious stuff. Because yeah. Venice, the Venice Film Festival is courting even more controversy. They this, invite this on themselves. They only have two female-directed films yeah. in their list of 20. They, they have Roman Polanski's new film here. And now... They have Nate Parker's new new film, and Nate Parker has a rape case acquittal in his backstory. Major red flags and some disgusting details have come to light in this story. What's true, what's not true, we really don't know. I have no idea what to think, but I just know that he's trying to stage a comeback. The movie is called American Skin, and Venice seems to be just inviting all this controversy. Yeah, this is the second week in a row we've done an Oscar race checkpoint. The second week in a row we're questioning... Alberto Barber's decision-making here, running the Venice Film Festival. Last week it was over the Polanski movie. Being and allowed. you know where we land on the Polanski yeah, stuff. and this week it's about this. To Barber's credit, I don't even want to say credit, but maybe just in his defense, his explanation for everything has been, I just want the best films. Right. And that's why he said that he doesn't care if it's two women, and that's why he said he'd quit if there was a gender threshold met or any kind of thing instituted there. He said all he cares about is quality of film, and we even said last week we tend to think it's more, as far as women directors go anyway, it's more of a systemic issue with the studios than it is something that the film festival should be burdened with fixing on their own. I just don't think all these stories for the 2019 Venice yeah. Film Festival is going to help that's, the 2020 Venice Film Festival. Well, that's, festival. The other, that's where I was going next, is that... Yeah. They do, Venice does have the burden of picking what films they show. And you you can't be blind to the people who make the films. And if you want to say that you just want the best films, and that's why you only have two women directors, it's weak, but I can at least understand there actually being some kind of logic to that. Yeah. Or, or at least what you think would be logic to that, and talking about Alberta Barber here. Picking these movies purposely that have these controversial backstories to them, that's your own fault. Yeah, it's just like the... It, they're shit magnets right yeah. now in Venice. I, I don't get. I, I. I mean, that's a crass way to say it, but it, it is what it is. A couple other news stories, Mike. Lucy in the Sky. This is the Natalie Portman, John Hamm astronaut kind of hangover film where she just coming home after being an astronaut. We reviewed the trailer a long time ago. This got moved up to an October release. It moved into the slot that the woman in the window had. This yeah. is a Disney film, and yet this is kind of a platform release. This is not a wide release. So here's the interesting thing about this. Mm -hmm. Last year, we had Green Book taking over the Marwin Oscar spot, right? Right. And this was big news to us. We highlighted it at the time. The studios knew they had a contender at Green Book, and they placed it accordingly. Is this a similar story or are we kind of reading too much into it this time around? If it is, in fact, like I read, a platform release. It's not a ma major release. It's October, not November. It's a different scenario, but I think it should put our feelers up. Because we got to get ready for stories like this mm -hmm. if they do come out and things do get jumbled around. Because that could give us some clues about what contenders, studios think they have. So you think it's more just studios positioning for their best chances and putting their best foot forward for... Award season. Sometimes that happens. It yeah. happened I, last I agree. year. I agree. It happened um, last year, clearly, and we were all over it. My take is much more cynical, yeah. as it tends to be. I think Disney's really doing some dirty things with these Fox properties, and I'm a little surprised that they haven't caught more flack from it from film Twitter and from critics of, of the like, but they've been killing Dark Phoenix. 
of their own accord. Not to say it's a good movie. I understand. Look, I, gotta, I get it. Kill get Dark it. Phoenix I get Dead. It. Listen. Kill it dead. Stab it in I the heart. You. It is the worst movie I've ever seen. I hear you. It is the worst movie in the last <laughs> 10 years. It is awful. It is a brand okay. killer. Fuck Dark Phoenix. It's awful. Fine. But my point is they could have done more to at least salvage. Just, just shut up for a second. They could have done more to salvage some money from that. Not to say it's a good property, but they wholly abandoned it the day after release. Look, if you sell people shit burgers, <laughs> that might be good for your business at the time. But, but when they bite into it, they're like, I'm never eating here again. But and Mike, you get lawsuits. Mike, they and blamed, you, during their shareholders meeting, they blamed <laughs> Dark Phoenix good. for Disney's loss in earnings in quarter three. Yeah, It's not it. Dark Phoenix's fault. They could have done more to get money out of it. But guess what? Next year's quarter three, you could have blamed Dark Phoenix if it made fifty more million, because <laughs> people would have saw that and be like, Disney, what are you doing to me? And they would have held a grudge. You, okay, as I a understand, gr- as a master grudge holder, <laughs> I understand you've hated Dark Phoenix. And it's not a good movie. It's not. I, I get that. I'm talking more about the whole picture here because now you take the dark, you take them abandoning a Fox property in Dark Phoenix. Look, they didn't try to salvage it at all. If Dark Phoenix was Midsummer, if Dark Phoenix was uh, a really good film, then I would get mad at Disney. It's not a good movie. It is an atrociously bad. But you movie. take what how they treat. There's a difference between putting it out there and at least trying to get make the best of it and trying to get some money out of it and putting it out there. Abandoning it completely, putting no money into it, no money, no resources behind it, no marketing behind I it. I would have abandoned Dark Phoenix so thoroughly. You're such a if Disney I was in apologist. Their, no, if I was in their shoes, I would have totally abandoned it and just say, "All right, let's do the bare minimum to get this out there. Make whatever we can." But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. That's my point. But no money into the marketing, none, <laughs> because this movie is shit. I'm sorry, I would have done the same thing if I was in their. We shoes. commented on an MMO Weekly. I don't even know, weeks ago when it came out, with how they basically interfere with Dark Phoenix's marketing from the jump. So they jumbled it from the jump. They, played, they were playing favorites with it and interfering in it. Good. You combine that with the moving the women in the window, which makes no sense how uh, test audiences That's a little strange. thought it was going to... Yeah, no shit. Look, and then, that wait, can... I'm not done! <laughs> and then they were going to release Lucy in the Sky with, di- with Diamonds. Lucy in the Sky, <laughs> which is another Fox property, two weeks after another Fox space property that they Mike, have to release. Is it good? Is my question. It is doesn't it... matter. Oh my, you're such an apologist. You're such an optimist. I, I hate it. I don't care about your argument because the movies suck. They're bad for your brand. Bury them. No. Bury them no, alive. You can't do that. Kill them. Kill them dead. I don't you can't, bad for you your brand. You can't kill them dead and then cry poor. If you're a billion dollar well, company if you like, don't like, like Disney the, is. Well, fine. Then take away the hypocrisy. Don't cry poor. If you That's what you're that's mad about. That's my point. Then be mad about that. Mike, that's my entire point. They're, they're crying poor, but they're self-sabotaging all these Fox films. They're making an excuse for themselves to micromanage and get involved with all these properties because they're saying, look at what we acquired from Fox. Look how terrible these films are doing, when in reality, you don't do anything to help Dark Phoenix's box office. The reality is you're releasing Lucy in the Sky, a space movie, two weeks after you're releasing Ad Astra, a space movie, one of those box Fox office is going to be hurt by the other. They're doing, they're self-sabotaging Fox properties as an excuse to justify not putting money into original film. We have been suspicious of the Ad Astra quality of film. It's had a, a mess time. of production. It's been a mess. So if it's bad, then I agree with what they've done. If Lucy in the Sky is bad, then I agree with what they've done. Then if why not one roll of those Lucy two in the mi- Sky on a national release? If why one are you of- rolling it out slowly? 
because why are you trying to sell people crappy films? Sell people good films. You know, exhibit good films at, at, a, at a high level. I almost think the opposite. Like, I know Disney, they could do some crazy marketing things to make more money out of these films if they are in fact bad. And I hate that because I think that's disingenuous. I don't want to be fooled by your marketing. <laughs> I want to I want you to deliver me good movies and Disney for the most part, they have uh, standards that are pretty darn high and they don't get behind the movies that aren't as good. You don't think it's a little conspicuous that every Fox feature they acquired that they are rolling out just happens to be plummeting. I think the the slate of Fox features that are coming out now is Disney basically saying, let's get rid of these, let's get these off our hands. I think these For the, what reason? Because they're not great movies. Which leads let's, to what let's down hide line? Them. Which leads let's, to what down the line? Why would we invest in original properties? Why would we take chances? Why let's look, just I'm with Marvel you movie? on the fact that they should invest in original properties, but you know it's going to save point. original properties once upon a time in Hollywood, The Farewell, movies like that. B- exhibiting Lucy in the Sky or exhibiting at Astra or whatever uh, on, a, on a major level is not going to help original properties if those tank. Midsummer's going to help original properties because that was done well. It was putting in a high traffic traffic area well, we don't know. for a small budget that made money. A24 is doing well. Caveat being, we don't know if Lucy in the Sky is bad. We haven't I seen don't know. her. Right, so we know Ad Astra's got a bad production. Wow, I can't believe but this was the the topic that just made us I have, this I have fire for Disney, man. I don't like what they're doing. I think it's all dirty pool. I really do. I don't, look, I think it's smart business when you bury bad properties. I think. Get, I don't, dis- I don't disagree I that with, that, with that sentence. I don't. I right. don't disagree with that. It hurts your overall brand. I'm taking it all in concert with one another. And if they are that concerned with highlighting good movies versus burying bad movies, if Ad Astra is a mess, why are you giving it the... Why is that the space movie that's getting the national release? Why not switch them, let Ad Astra go limited, and put Lucy in the Sky in a national They might platform. have fixed Ad Astra more than they fixed Lucy in the Sky. I don't know. I know we got a good filmmaker behind Ad Astra. I don't remember who's in charge of Lucy in the Sky, but... Well, see, Lucy yeah. in the Sky might be a platform release thing that is a true blue Oscar contender. We don't know how to read this right now. I think you're assuming that it's a, or we both might be assuming it's a bad movie. I started this out thinking it might have been a Green Book, you know, situation. No, and I then hope I read, it is. I, yeah. And then I read that it was a platform release, so I was like, all right, it's not a Green Book situation. But no, I, I could see it being that certainly. So we don't know. What I just that think is. the release date is a little questionable. That's all. But if it's a platform release, you're gonna have Ad Astra being a, a major release. This is in New York and L.A. It's not gonna be in you know a national level for like uh, you know three to four weeks. It may not point. hurt its box office directly in that if I'm going to buy a ticket to one movie, I'm going to make a choice between the two of those. Yeah. It may hurt its box office in that if Lucy in the Sky is a better quality film, Ad Astra is not gonna have any think pieces or articles written about it or anything reflecting of it. You know, I, 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 it's a little bit grasping at straws. I agree, but I also think I could read some tea leaves here. I, I I'm fascinated. We're gonna have to pay attention to yeah, both those films for sure. because who's right in this argument? I don't know. I think Disney. Disney's always right. Disney's always right. <laughs> <laughs> a few more stories just to wrap up here for Oscars 2021 and beyond. We try to look forward at future Oscar contenders, or should be Oscar contenders, at the uh, end or at certain endpoints of these type of episodes. To start, we have Kate Blanchett starring in Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. Fun premise. A psychotherapist and a con man team up to fleece people. This is my 
paraphrasing of it. Mm-hmm. And then they turn on one another. Bradley Cooper is set to play the con man, and uh, Kate Blanchett, like you said, is going to play the psychotherapist. This is set, I think, at like a traveling freak show. It's based on the 1947 film, so I probably can fact check huh. that uh, fairly easily. Guillermo del Toro said. This is not just rated R, it's rated like big R, like double R, he said. <laughs> and look at this cast, Mike. Tony Collette, Rooney Mara, Richard Jenkins, Willem Dafoe, and Michael Shannon. Holy shnikes. It's a huge cast. It certainly sounds like an awards caliber cast. You also, though, were reading the premise before you got to the freak show part, and to me, I was like, aren't Ian McKellen and Helen Mirren doing this doing movie this, already this, this year? <laughs> Isn't this the ex- pretty much the exact same premise? I like a battle of the good liar. Yeah, between uh, two really smart seeming actors. Right, I agree. I, they seem smart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Like this sounds really cool. And that cast, my god, I've had a problem historically with Del Toro movies. They've yeah. not been my favorite. You hold your grudges. This one certainly does sound awfully intriguing. I agree. So it'll be. Good enough to get Oscar nominations, but disappointing enough to piss you off at the end of the day. <laughs> well, I don't know, because the last <laughs> time that happened, Shape of Water won Best Picture. I know. So that's what I'm trying to set up here. <laughs> trying to poke the bear. Mike, the next story. <laughs> yeah, next story, final story here. Some Quentin Tarantino news, because we haven't talked about him in like a couple minutes. <laughs> he said his tenth film is going to feel epilogue ye. Mike, this is a really telling quote. If you think about the idea of all the movies telling one story, and each film is like a train boxcar connected to each other, all right? This one would sort of be the big show-stopping climax of it all, okay? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I could imagine that the 10th one would be a little more uh, epilogue Okay. I turned into Jack Nicholson doing the Joker there. <laughs> a bit that was bad. There. That was over the top. It's also some foreshadowing. <laughs> um, you want to read the, the last bit of the news here before I give my take on this? So, how about a Tarantino horror movie? Another quote from Bloody Disgusting Red. He's like, bottom line, if I come up with a great horror movie idea, I'm going to make my 10th film a horror movie. The Spawn Ranch sequence was the closest thing he's done to a horror sequence. He validated that fact, and he left the door open to this. Okay, so he is going to make a 10th and final film, right? Yeah. And it's going to be Star Trek, a horror movie, and Kill Bill Volume 3. Can we stop? Can we stop with this? It's not going to be his final film. He's going to make a movie. It's going to be his 10th picture. So and then he's going to go away. He's 56. Yeah. Right? I, I, I wholeheartedly believe this. He's going to go away. 58 maybe. Yeah. Start a family. Probably have a kid or two. And then he's going to get the itch. He's probably His 10th film is probably not going to be Kill Bill Volume 3. Right. That's going to stick in, in his brain, I think. And he's going to want to do that for to deliver that to people. And I think he's going to come back. And I think this is as clear as day. So the reason, and I, I don't blame him mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Get all the headlines you can out of this story. It's your time in the spotlight right now, Mr. Tarantino. So juice this, get all the squeeze you can out of it, you know? But let's stop acting like he's going to leave film altogether. He's been saying it for the longest of time to, to play devil's advocate against you. Uh, but I agree with you. I think at 65, he's going to come back. Yeah. Right? Because like, he has to. I, I don't think you can keep him away. No, and he could start a family and do TV, do maybe something on Broadway even. I don't know. But you know, Write a novel. He said all these things. Now, all this said, would, I, would we not love to see a Star Trek Tarantino movie? Of course. Would we not love to see a true horror Tarantino movie? Oh, we'd flip out. Would we not love to see Kill Bill Volume 3? Of course. Like, he's, got the, he's a brand unto himself now. If he, he can gets do whatever he wants. A Netflix miniseries. 
You know, oh to, yeah, to do like Sign a ten up. part miniseries, and he wants to direct the whole darn thing. Absolutely, can you imagine? Uh, geez, we're there, right? Like, whatever, just stop. <laughs> I, I don't blame Tarantino. Tar if people are gonna ask you for quotes, keep giving them all the quotes you want. But these trades, stop, just stop. <laughs> <laughs> that was a loaded episode. That My was, God, was a we big episode. Ran through it kind of quickly. That's why we have these track themed things, sprints and and checkpoints and. Mario Kart. Uh, <laughs> guys, we want to know your comments, questions, thoughts, concerns on this. Anything else we do in the MMO Empire, as always, you could reach out to us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, uh, including Apple Podcasts. We didn't ask you this at the beginning of the episode, so we we'll might as well put it in now. Mm -hmm. If you could take a few seconds and leave us a five-star review, just click those five stars on our apple podcast page uh we're trying to get uh we need uh, i think 200 four or five star reviews because uh, we're trying to apply for this certain application we really really need those to come in uh so if you can take a couple seconds out of your day and do that for us uh, we would truly truly appreciate go it. to shows click mike mike and oscar scroll down so that i think that's the one two three of it all shows in your apple podcast app Mike, Mike, and Oscar, scroll down, and you'll find us. You have to scroll, 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 maybe times five. One, two, three, four, five. Boom, you'll see the stars. Okay? And, and we, you know, we, we gave you a break from not bugging you about at the beginning of the show. Right. But next episode, we will. We will. We're trying to play it nice. We're trying to bug you at the We don't here. want to hurt you. No. <laughs> so... Because we have so many fans and none of them have done this. That's our fault. We yeah. haven't asked you before. Right. We haven't been annoying before. True. We have to be annoying now. We're sorry. We're sorry. And we we're, we're insufferable while we, we do this. I listen to this and I'm like, wow, we're dicks. I hate us. I hate, I hate myself. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, like we say, though, uh, when reality sucks, you can come watch movies with us. Michael, let's get what's coming next on MMO and some words of wisdom for these nice people. So we're going to make a big announcement on MMOW about our next rewatch series. So that's going to be fun. Listen up for that. We got an awesome Six Degrees again. We got some new movies to review. We got a loaded MMOW coming up. Yeah. We're going to have Oscar Race Checkpoint next week. Hopefully we'll have a little women trailer to review in that one. We don't exactly know which film we're going to review next week. Is it going to be Bernadette? Is it going to be Scary Stories? Is it going to be Good Boys? Is it going to be Loose? Mike and I got to talk about it. We yeah. got to see how it comes in. But we want to review a new movie for next week. And we kind of want to review a new movie every week. And we think we may debut that new rewatch series next week as well, which is a lot of fun. And yeah. we're excited about it. If not, we'll do two new movies or whatever. We'll, we'll figure something out. Mike, words of wisdom. Go see original properties. Go yes. see The Farewell. Go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That is something we both believe in and agree with. Go and see Ad Astra, you cowards. Do you want to get behind Ad Astra? <laughs> yes! Like, that's the hill yes! you want to die on? Yes! How that, did you turn this into an argument Ford again? versus Ferrari. They need to make money. Disney needs to be stopped. <laughs> we need to stop them by putting more money in their pockets. Don't you understand? <laughs> I agree. Look, I mean... <laughs> I don't want to do it again. Dark Phoenix is bad. Okay, I'm rooting. I'm hoping Ad Astra will be good. That's the what I'm only way for. to stop Disney is to give them more money. <laughs> they can't lose. This is terrible. We're all under the mouse's thumb. Maybe it's famous last words for me by <laughs> somehow being an apologist for them. Even though I'm not, at the end of the day, if their stuff sucks, if their stuff is good, I'm I'm with it. Disney Plus is going to be included with like a bunch of stuff for thirteen dollars. Oh, we're going to talk the about that. The world's going to buy that. We're going to the whole world, <laughs> we're including us. Fuck.
That's the MMOW. Ah! All right, we'll do something to put a smile on that pretty little face soon. Guys, uh, like I said, when reality sucks, come watch movies with us. We're Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to take the stuffiness out of award season uh, year-round. I said that backwards. It's been a long day. It's been a long day. Bye. See you.